0: You're listening to Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. Today's scripture is taken from 1 Thessalonians, beginning in chapter 4 with verse 13 and concluding in chapter 5 with verse 11. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as, as others do when you have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, concerning the times and the seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. God's Word.
1: Well, hey, good morning, Life Church. So great to be with you again and uh, just honored to be bringing the word of God to you this week. Uh, I'm really excited about the text that we get to be studying together today because this text is really all about encouraging you and getting you to continue encouraging one another during the times that we're living in. Uh, This past week, I've been rereading The Great Divorce by C.S. Lewis. And uh, in this book, you know, it's a fascinating concept. He writes the story of a man who winds up in hell And he's getting on a bus to take a trip to heaven, and as only Lewis can do, he describes the people in both places with just such vivid imagery. Uh, The people in hell, he describes as, um, you know, they're waiting in line to get on this bus to go to heaven, and they're grouchy, and they're grumbling and complaining and fighting and bickering with one another. And, And he describes them as kind of a dark, dingy, shadowy people, almost like ghosts, almost like the stain of where a person used to be. And he contrasts that with the people of God's kingdom, the kingdom of light. And once they get to this kingdom, he says, there weren't any people there, but when the people started coming, they could see them from such a long way off. Uh, They were incredibly bright. And as they got closer, Lewis says, like, it became painful for them to look on them that these people were just so incredibly stunning and brilliant. He describes them as solid, ageless, powerful, and radiant. But over and over again, he refers to these people of God's kingdom as the bright people. No doubt Lewis's imagination was fueled by all the scriptures that contrast God's kingdom to the kingdom of the evil one. So God's kingdom being the kingdom of light or the kingdom of the day, and the enemy's kingdom being the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of night. And in our scripture today, the same is true of our text where Paul calls us children of light or children of the day. Just as in Lewis's writings, the Apostle Paul is saying that we are those bright people even now. We are children of the light, children of the day, that in the midst of this dark and broken world, the light of God's kingdom has started breaking through, and it's breaking through in those of us who believe. It's an uncontainable light, and though his kingdom hasn't fully arrived yet, it's not exactly here, it's not in its entirety yet, it's, it's coming, and we can see that it's coming because it's starting to crack through in his people, children of the day. So that's us. That's our identity, according to the Apostle Paul. And as children of the day, belonging to God's kingdom, Paul wants to encourage us to be encouraging one another in several different things. And so we're going to look at that. Now, maybe you missed it as Pastor Bill was reading the text that, that this scripture passage um, is about encouragement. You know, you can get lost in hearing the, all, the, all the terminology about Judgment Day and the Day of the Lord, and it sounds pretty um, heavy and uh, sober-minded, but it really is about encouraging one another. Paul says twice in this, um, these two passages that we read kind of back-to-back, back, the end of chapter 4 and the beginning of chapter f- 5, he says, encourage one another with these words. And you might say, well, Pastor Dave, how is, how is this supposed to be encouraging? You know, this passage sounds so serious, so heavy. Can't we talk about something lighthearted, something fun today? But Paul says this is exactly the kind of encouragement that you need for times like these. And maybe you're like most people today. You're needing a little encouragement. I know that I have been. Everything has been looking pretty grim. Uh, lots of loss and suffering and grief and death all around us, and I don't know about you, but the simple kind of trite encouragements that we hear um, in the media, on the news, on, on social media, it just—it isn't doing it for me. I need something with some meat to it, something with some substance to it, something that helps to, me to rise above these circumstances and something that challenges me in the midst of them. And that's what Paul is aiming for here in his letter. Uh, to the Thessalonians. His words here were intended to bring comfort and encouragement to the church at Thessalonica. See, because this church also was in the midst of suffering and persecution. Now, they weren't suffering at the hands of a pandemic, but they were being persecuted by both the local Jews, who didn't believe that Jesus was was the Messiah, and they were being persecuted by the Romans, who bristled at the idea of Jesus being this new king. They said, hey, no, our king is Caesar. And actually... Things had gotten off to a really rough start there in Thessalonica, which was a prominent city in Greece at the time. And you can go back and read all about it in Acts chapter 17. It was on Paul and Silas' second missionary journey that they, that they went there. But when the, the, the people at Thessalonica started to believe in Jesus and they started to grab hold of the gospel and confess Jesus as Lord and King, it really got them in hot water with the Roman government. And because of that, Paul and Silas had to jed. They had to flee the city And it broke their hearts to do so because they loved this people so much. I mean, if you read the rest of this letter, it's just full of language of how much they loved and cared for one another, almost just like family. And they didn't want to leave them at this fledgling time in the church. They wanted to help get this church off the ground and support them and encourage them. And so soon after Paul and Silas fled, they sent Timothy back to just check on them, to see how they were doing. And much to their delight, this church was not just surviving in the midst of persecution, but they were actually flourishing right in there in the, in the midst of it. And this is Paul's first attempt to connect with the church after he and Silas had fled from the city and received Timothy's positive report. Now, as I mentioned, this, this passage we're in here at the end of the letter is all about encouragement. And Paul uses this idea of the day of the Lord, which I think is fascinating, that that's the idea he uses to encourage us. And Paul's saying, this is how you ought to encourage one another, During These times that you're in as God's children as children of the day. And so as we go through this passage, I want you to notice three big things um, that Paul would say, here's what you need to use to encourage one another, even in the midst of the struggles that you find yourselves in. So firstly, as children of the day, we encourage one another that there is hope, even in death. There's hope even in death. You know, this new church at Thessalonica, they had an important question for Paul. They said, hey, Paul, some of our loved ones have died since you and Silas were here and King Jesus hasn't come back yet. So what does that mean for them? What is, you know, what's going to happen to them? They were worried about it. What's going to be the fate of our loved ones who have died without the return of King Jesus happening first? Paul writes to assure them that their loved ones who have died in Christ are not at a disadvantage to those who are alive. He says in verse 13 of chapter 4, look at it. He says, brothers, I don't, want you to be, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So, so Paul says, don't grieve as those who have no hope. And I want to just pause on that for a moment here. There's some important things in there. First, Paul doesn't take the route of stoicism. You know what stoicism was? It's it's just basically telling them, keep your chin up, keep a stiff upper lip, you know, no more sniffling, pull yourself together and basically get over it. And he doesn't do that at all. He says, I don't want, I want you to grieve, but not as, as those who have no hope. He says, grief is very much a part of what Christians ought to do. We grieve fully. We grieve wholeheartedly. We weep and wail just like everyone else in a sense. We fully embrace grief, but... It's different in that it's not without hope. And that's Paul's other big point here is like, you should grieve. That's right for Christians to do. You should grieve loss and death, but there should be hope that is rubbed, pressed into your grief. Why? Well, because Paul reminds them that just as Jesus died and rose again, so will they. And moreover, there's a special kind of honor that's given to Christians who, are, who have died over those who are still living. Look at what Paul says. He says, they'll rise first. And he describes it for them in verse 16 and 17. He says, the Lord's going to descend. There's going to be a trumpet sound, the voice of an archangel. The dead in Christ will rise first. And then Paul used this really interesting military analogy. He says, you know how if Caesar's coming to a city that's under his rule, the city's going to send out a delegation of people to go meet him and to welcome him and to escort him back into the city. Paul says, hey, it's going to be exactly that way with King Jesus when he gets there says so the resurrected will go first then those of us who are still alive will be caught up in the air to meet him as a welcome party as a delegation to welcome our king Jesus and to escort him back to earth where he will establish his full reign as king and then comes the best part as children of the day children belonging to God's kingdom of light Paul says we will get to be with the Lord forever I mean, can you imagine that no interruptions forever Paul says, encourage one another with these words. See, because for us, there's hope even in death. And I just wonder, when was the last time you encouraged a brother or sister with these kinds of words, with these kinds of um, ideas? You know, to say, look, Jesus is coming back and he's going to raise our bodies, putting everything right. When was the last time you encouraged a fellow believer in that? I mean, oftentimes I find that our encouragements of one another lack the true strength that Paul wants them to have. But this is, in fact, our hope, dear friends. This is how to properly encourage one another in the midst of a global pandemic. Brother and sister, no matter what happens to you, no matter if if even death itself comes for you or your loved ones, those in, in Christ will rise and we will be caught up with him to greet him and to welcome him to his rightful place as our eternal king. There's hope even in the midst of death. That's firstly how Paul wants us to encourage one another. Secondly, as children of the day, we encourage one another to live sober and awake concerning the day of the Lord. I'm going to spend the bulk of my time here because this is really where the burden of my heart has been for you this past week. The day of the Lord is a phrase that's often used throughout the Old and the New Testament. It just refers to that day of judgment, the day of reckoning, the day when God returns, when Jesus returns to put everything right. And it's an awful, terrifying day for the wicked, for people who are not um, God's people. But it's a huge comfort for those who belong to Christ. Paul describes the Lord's coming with two powerful metaphors in verses two and three. And both of these metaphors are supposed to drive home a singular point. He compares it to, A, a thief in the night, and B, a woman going into labor. Both of these things, Paul says, come as a surprise. They come suddenly and unexpectedly, but not for God's people. That's the the key. Not for the children of the day. They have the inside scoop, you see. They'll be expecting it. They'll be, as Paul says, sober and awake. At the same time, in verse 3, Paul's, Paul's kind of poking fun of Roman, the Roman propaganda here, too. He's, he's warning Christians, don't buy into it. Don't be lulled to sleep by it, but stay alert. See, because Rome had put out a statement saying that the Roman government, where there's Roman rule, it provides peace and security, and it will last. And Paul's saying, no, no way. Don't trust that. It's going to fall. It's, it's just like everything else. Everything built by man won't be able to stand on the day of the Lord no doubt we've gotten a real taste of that lately, haven't we? Just how flimsy everything in our world is. I mean, with so many things that we thought were so unshakable, our economy, professional sports, massive companies have just been brought to their knees by this virus. And no doubt the day of the Lord will be infinitely more forceful in bringing people to their knees. Paul's words here ring true for us. Peace and security outside of God, they're a mirage. Therefore, we must stay alert. And so, Paul calls us as children of the day to these two very important ways of living. He calls us to live sober and awake. Now, no doubt, Paul's words here have a very specific aim. Um, as far as their application goes with the church at Thessalonica, because see, when Paul met these people, they were polytheists taking place in all kinds of crazy pagan worship practices. Many of them included, um, drunken orgies as part of their worship practices. And Paul's saying like, look, those are practices of people of the night. Those are practices of darkness. That's not you. You're children of the day. You're children of light. Those things don't belong to you anymore. And since the day of the Lord is coming, Paul's saying, the eternal day where Jesus Christ reigns and he's the lamp and there's no more night in the new earth, Paul's saying, I want to encourage you to live like that now. I want to encourage you to live holy lives, sober and awake, ready for the return of your King. Now, what does this mean for us? Okay. Uh, I've been thinking about that all this week. What does it mean for us to live sober and awake now in the midst of this pandemic? You know, my guess is that most of you aren't participating in drunken orgies because social distancing just won't allow it. But I think there's more than one way for us to be drunk or asleep. Certainly, this can apply to a spiritual sense of drunkenness or a spiritual sense of sleep. So just think about it with me for a second. What is true about you if you're drunk? Well, for one thing, your senses are dulled. You know, most people think of alcohol as a stimulant because it kind of makes you crazy, right? Um, they call it liquid courage for a reason. Uh, it, just, it just lowers your inhibitions and causes you to do things that maybe you wouldn't normally do. So you have a little too much to drink, and then you, that thing you wouldn't normally say, you just blurt it out. Or you, you get a little tipsy, and then you no, wouldn't normally get on the dance floor, but you just get out there and do it. And that's what alcohol does. So a lot of people think of it as a stimulant. But if you look in a pharmacology text, alcohol is listed as a depressant. Why? Well, it's listed as a depressant because it actually depresses parts of your brain that are involved with cognitive functioning so that you can't take in as much of reality, right? It limits the amount of reality that you can take in. So you, you can't be fully aware that you're a terrible singer or a terrible dancer when you're drunk. Um, you can't, you're not fully seeing re- the reality that you're about to get fired by your boss for saying that thing, Um, it, it, it It doesn't allow you to take in as much reality as you normally could when you're drunk. And in that way, going along with that line of thinking, boy, do I think many of us would rather be drunk these days. I mean, we want to escape the reality of the last month. I mean, haven't you woken up at least a time or two in the last month and just wanted to pinch yourself like this has got to be a nightmare? You know, that we can't um, go and visit our friends. We can't gather in groups anymore. We can't do half the things we used to love to do. And a lot of our jobs are terribly disrupted and we're losing in every category financially and our businesses are failing. All those things are just crumbling. And, and haven't you just wanted to escape that? You know, we'd love an altered form of consciousness. That doesn't allow us to feel the full force of the reality that we're living in. Maybe we actually are starting to turn to some substances like alcohol during this time. And boy, we really got to be careful with that. That's a terribly slippery slope. But there are other ways of escaping reality. You know, there's been tons of news articles on um, how Americans especially are just binge watching Netflix and Hulu and Amazon Prime and just taking into just such large amounts of this. And it's made me wonder, as Christians, are we any different? Like as Christians, as people, as children of the day, as children of the light, are we actually living sober? or Are we just trying to escape? Are our spiritual senses being dulled by the volume of stuff that we're ingesting? And I mean, I totally get it. I'm right there with you. I feel the pull to escape too. But that's why I think Paul's words have so much to speak to us here in our current predicament. And please don't hear me saying it's wrong for you to watch a movie or catch some TV. Not at all, not one bit. What I'm concerned about is That the escapes that we're, we're we're, we're running to, I think those things are driving out of our lives the Christian disciplines that pull us into the Lord, that keep us sober and awake. Things like prayer and fasting and worship and the word and care for our neighbor and care for the sick and for the poor. And I'm just wondering if all these things that we're escaping into are just dulling us. And the big deal is, friends as your pastor, I just don't want to miss an incredible opportunity here where all of our lives, our grip on our lives and the things that we thought were stable has just been loosened over the last month. And so it's just natural and normal for us to want to cling to something else. And I just think this is an incredible time for us to get practice at just clinging to Jesus. I mean, this might be the first time in most of our lives where we've literally had the threat of losing A ton of stuff, almost everything, and we can experience what it's like to just cling to Jesus, which is such a powerful thing in our lives. I don't want us to miss that. You know, I think Paul's other analogy of sleep is helpful too here. I mean, how many of us, when we're really bummed out, really down and depressed, we just want to go to sleep? Because sleep is an alternative form of reality as well. It's it's an altered form of consciousness too. Sometimes it's terrifyingly altered if you're you know, prone to nightmares or something like that, but at least it's different. It's not this stinging sharp sense of reality that we live through day to day. And here's the thing, friends, we can't ignore Paul's words here. He's saying to a church in the midst of suffering and persecution, he's saying in the midst of all that, I want you to live fully sober, fully awake, fully watchful. And I gotta admit, sometimes I'm like, Paul, are you serious? Like who really wants to be awake for this? Who really wants to live fully sober right now? I mean, is it all that wrong to want a different reality? I think Paul would say the answer is no. Certainly not wrong to want out of this pandemic and want a different reality. But what Paul is saying to us here is that you need not go get a different reality through drunkenness or sleep because you already have a different reality. You belong to the day. That's your new reality. It's already true. It's just not fully realized yet, but it's coming and so you need to live like it's true now. My fear is, friends, during this time, as Christians, we've just gotten a bit short-sighted, which we have a tendency to do. That as Christians, we've started living for the end of coronavirus. And you now we've started living for the yearning for the end of quarantine. where We can finally go back to hanging out with our friends and our family. And, and that's what we've kind of set our hopes on and our sights on. And boy, am I looking forward to all those things. Don't get me wrong. My question is, has this whole thing kind of gotten us off track? Are we yearning still for the day of the Lord, for the return of Christ? So because for children of the day, that yearning doesn't change with our circumstances. It's something that's constant. It remains the same. This is what we constantly have our gaze set on. We're locked in with Jesus and we're waiting for our King to return. It's our singular focus, the return of Christ. You know, one pastor I talked to, He told me that he started every day with a simple prayer. It was really a question that he prayed to the Lord every single day to help him. He prayed, Lord, will today be the day? And that prayer served him over the years to help him to stay sober and awake to the reality that Jesus is coming back, that the day of the Lord is at hand. And I'm just curious, when was the last time you wondered if the Lord would return today? Maybe it's been very recently because, man, everything just looks really apocalyptic right now. You go to the grocery store and the shelves are empty and you you go out on the streets and there's nobody there and the hospitals are full and, you know, everything in the world just seems to be falling apart. And so I've definitely thought about it more lately. But my guess is that most of us still, even in the midst of this pandemic, we really believe that tomorrow morning, we're going to wake up in our beds and tomorrow is going to be much like it was today without much thought of when our Lord is coming back. And see, the problem with that, the big problem with that is that if we don't keep the end in mind, if we don't have the end in view, it changes very much how we live in the present. That's what I think Paul is getting at here today. You know, I was listening to a sermon by Mark Dever, who pastors Capitol Hill Baptist in Washington, D.C., and he said this that just stunned me. He said, churches do more and more to comfort us in this life and less and less to prepare us for the next. And I just said, oh Lord, please don't let that be life church. Don't let that be us because certainly we want to comfort you right now. So we just want to like help you in any way that we can. We love you. We care about you as your pastors, as your shepherds. But Paul would argue and he would insist that the best way for us to comfort you, the best way for us to encourage you is to point you to the return of Christ. To point you to your hope that is there. My question for you today is, are you living sober and awake? Are you escaping dulled and asleep, grasping for a different reality. Paul reminds us to encourage one another today. You have a different reality. You're a child of the day. Now, finally, brings us to point number three, because Paul knows it's not enough just to tell us to live into our new reality as children of the day, sober and awake. He's got to tell us how to do it. And and he reminds us again to encourage one another in this in verses eight through 10. Paul says, as children of the light, we're to encourage one another to put on our armor of faith, love, and hope. And the fact that Paul says we need to put on some armor gives us a clue. This is not going to be a picnic. This is going to be a fight. Uh, The enemy doesn't want you doing this. He wants God's children dulled, asleep, or at least not fully living into their identity. We must expect the attacks of the evil one, to get us off course here. He would like nothing more than to get our eyes off of Jesus and onto the pandemic or onto something else, just surviving right now. That's why we need our armor. This isn't the full list that Paul gives us in Ephesians 6, but this armor is defensive only. And so notice it covers just our essential organs. It's just a helmet and a breastplate. And this triad of faith, love, and hope, it's something that Paul uses often in his letters. Also used that at the beginning of this letter in 1 Thessalonians. And so we put on the breastplate of faith, first of all. Faith is how we take hold of the promises of our King Jesus. It's what activates all that's important in our lives. We have nothing if we don't have faith. Another good word for faith here is the word trust. It can almost be used interchangeably in the Greek. And often that's helped me to think of faith in this way, that really to put our faith in the risen Lord is simply to trust him. You know, we we put all the weight of our lives on him. All of our eggs are in his basket. You know, all of our chips are on Jesus. In other words, like we say, look, if Jesus isn't who he said he is, we're going to be damned with him forever. Like there's no plan B. It's all riding on Jesus. That's what faith is. And that's what we push push each other towards during these times. We say, brother, you got to trust the Lord. Sister, hey, your life is in God's hands. He's got you. He's going to care for you. That's another important component of the breastplate we put on love. And, you know, the same triad, faith, love, and hope is listed in Paul's famous chapter in 1 Corinthians, the love chapter. And there we're told that love is the greatest of these three. And I'm just wondering, how are we encouraging one another in love? How are we putting others' needs before our own right now? How are we reaching out to those around us in our communities. I love that we got to read some church history this past week for the table. But as we read about the church in history through pandemics, we read that, my goodness, they've advanced the gospel because they were willing to lay down their own lives for others. They were willing to put others' needs ahead of their own. And I know most of you are just being told, stay home right now. That's your main duty. And if that means loving our neighbor, that's what we'll do. But just begin praying about that, thinking about that. How can you reach out, encourage one another, pray for one another, um, strengthen those around you, both believers and non-believers. And then finally, we put on hope and specifically the hope of our salvation. And as usual, when the New Testament uses this term hope, it's not just, oh, I kind of hope so kind of a hope, but it's a confident expectation of future good. It means when you look down the hallway of your life, you see that the future is incredibly bright. That's What hope is, and that's the truth for the children of the light. Maybe dark all around you, pitch black, but you know the dawn is coming. God's salvation for you is sure. As Paul says, God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ, who died and rose again, that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him. And see, friends, here's the truth you really need to remember we weren't always children of the day, we weren't always children of light. There was a time, the scriptures tell us, when all of us, every single one of us, walked in darkness as children of wrath. But Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world himself, he declared it about himself. On the cross, he took all of our darkness. You remember from the gospel accounts that when Jesus hung on the cross, something incredibly strange happened. The whole land became pitch black, dark, for about three hours. Why was that? Well, it's because at that moment, all the blackness of our sin was being poured into Jesus' own body. And for a moment, his light went out. He actually died. Just like Paul says here, the most brilliant, the most dazzling, the most bright human being that ever lived, his lamp for a moment was extinguished. But three days later, that light which cannot be contained rose from the grave, triumphing over darkness once and for all. And he did this, the scriptures tell us, so that he could take us out of darkness and into His marvelous light. I don't know where this message finds you today. You know, maybe you had this message sent to you somehow, um, emailed to you, and you're not a Christian and you're panicking and you're you're really in a lot of anxiety. You're freaked out about this whole deal because you don't have hope in the face of death, like Paul's talking about here. And I've got great news for you today. If you're not a Christian here. Let me just tell you, Jesus Christ has died. He's taken all of your darkness that he could make you a child of the day, that he could bring you into God's kingdom of light. And I just encourage you, reach out to the person who sent it to you. You can go online at our our website, LifeChurchSuitFalls.com and get in touch with us. We'd love to help you in getting introduced to Jesus. For those of you who are believers today, I just want to ask you to make some space in your week to do a little bit of an inventory on your life. And you know, I don't want this to be super judgy, super legalistic. Uh, I don't want you beating yourself up here. This is not about legalism. This is about finding life in Jesus. This is about walking in our true identity in Him. But will you ask some simple questions of yourself this week and just give yourself some honest answers. Maybe, maybe do it over Zoom with a, a close friend or trusted believer. Number one, am I living into my true identity as a child of the day? And maybe your answer right up front is, Pastor Dave, absolutely not. I, like, I've totally been living in darkness. I've totally wandered off the path. I've gone back to all my old stuff. And if that's you today, I just, I just encourage you. Like, God has grace for you today in Jesus. Jesus took your darkness to give you his light. But don't start by just trying to fix yourself. Don't just run off by yourself and try to fix yourself. Start with your new identity first. Start with, God has made me a child of the day. Therefore, I behave like this. And you'll notice Paul always does that in his writings. He's always saying, you are saints. You are righteous in Christ. You are children of the light, children of the day. Therefore, behave like this. We don't start by trying to behave so that God will make us something. We start by what God has made us, and then we work from there, all right? Secondly, will you ask yourself is my life bent around the return of King Jesus? See, because like I said, if, if our life is aimed at something else, just surviving coronavirus or getting that promotion, or, you know, whatever that thing is, it tends to affect everything that we do right now. So it's critically important to ask yourself, like, what is my life aimed at? What's the end goal here? Thirdly, am I awake and sober or am I dulled and escaping? Now, what sorts of activities are sharpening you spiritually, keeping you awake and sober during these days? And what sorts of activities are just dulling you, dumping cold water on the fire of the spirit in your heart? You need to really be honest with yourself about those things. Trim out what's not working and add in those things that really um, are keeping you awake and sober. And then finally, Am I encouraging my brothers and sisters in these things? Like, have I, have I taken the opportunity to call someone or text someone or email someone or, you know, just send them a link to a worship song or whatever it is and just say, hey, just spend some time with this. This really encouraged me today. Um, my prayer for you this week, friends, I've just been praying this week that you would have hope in the midst of grief, I really pray that for you this week, that there would be hope in the midst of grief. It's not, it's not gonna be possible to get rid of the grief, but that there'd be hope in the midst of it. That you would stay sober and awake, and that you would arm yourselves with this spiritual armor of faith, love, and hope, and that you would encourage one another in these things as children of the day, because that is who you are. Amen? Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this text Uh, that encourages us today and we thank you for the reality Jesus that you are our king you're coming back and that we can hope in you even in the midst of suffering and in the face of possible death Lord we trust you today we put our faith in you we ask you to help us to live sober and awake it's not our natural inclination it's not our tendency Lord at least not in our flesh so help us to live according to the spirit and to pay attention to what the spirit's doing in us We trust you, Holy Spirit, that you are powerful and that you can work these things into our lives for your glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.